When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien, Vivian McPeak, will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Welcome to Hemp Present, a weekly radio show where you can get your PhD in THC because you don't just want to burn it, you want to learn it. Seeking to defeat prohibition one interview at a time and advocating for the plant, the whole plant, and nothing but the plant. Join me for a weekly reefer radio rebellion against prohibition as I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers, and shakers, and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture, and reform movement. I'm your host, Vivian McPeak. I'm the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, celebrating its 25th year and found at hempfest.org. I'm also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest from AHA Publishing, also found at hempfest.org. Transmitting from a fortified bunker under a ramshackle reefer radio warren at an undisclosed location deep within the rumbling bowels of underground Seattle, my goal is to spread the green flame of 420 truth in 30-minute increments. Today's guest on Hemp Present is author and activist Chris Conrad, who will be joining me in about 120 seconds. Support for the outright legalization of cannabis is at an all-time high in America. With as many as three national polls, Gallup, General Social Survey, and Pew Research, all revealing that a majority of respondents favor ending pot prohibition. A recent CBS News poll revealed that 84% of respondents were in favor of legalizing medical marijuana. In Washington, Oregon, and Colorado alone, over a billion dollars of cannabis was sold in 2015. Some of the tax revenues generated by those sales will go to education, law enforcement, and addiction prevention programs. Many people are surprised at the rapid pace of reform efforts, as some states have seen massive retail operations begin while other states simultaneously continue to lock up citizens in jails and prisons over the exact same green leafy substance. Many thousands of American activists have burned shoe leather, have spent out-of-pocket funds, and have logged many hours away from their homes and families in an effort to change America's archaic, outdated, and Orwellian cannabis policies. Within activist reform circles, there has been a long-standing breakdown between some quarters of the movement regarding the level of priority given to advocating for industrial hemp and medical marijuana as opposed to promoting outright legalization of any use of cannabis, including recreational. 
normal. Some people today remain frustrated that progress in the struggle for legal domestic industrial hemp production seems to be lagging behind its much more sexy intoxicating cousins, medical and recreational use. With all of the critical global needs that hemp could help us manage and address, from environmental preservation and restoration to non-toxic sustainable building materials, or from safe and environmentally friendly oils and varnishes to protein-rich food sources, it seems illogical that the non-intoxicating version of the plant would arguably be, be more illegal than the one that gets you righteously baked and enjoying a good reggae tune in the sunshine. But there are rays of hope and light appearing on the horizon. My guest today on Hemp Present is the author of such seminal books as Hemp Lifeline to the Future, Hemp for Health, and Cannabis Yields and Dosages, as well as being the co-founder and first president of the Hemp Industries Association, or the HIA, founder of Business Alliance and Commerce and Hemp, or BAC, and signature gathering coordinator for Proposition 215, which made California the first U.S. state to legalize the medical use of cannabis. Of course, I'm talking about Chris Conrad, who the December 1999 issue of High Times ranked number 10 on its list of the top 25 living legends in the battle for legal cannabis. Conrad is a court-appointed expert on cannabis who's been cited in multiple appellate and Supreme Court decisions. He is, in my opinion, not only one of the smartest people in the pop movement, but he's also one of the nicest guys. And he's joining me today on Hempresent on the hotline. Welcome, Chris, to Hempresent on Cannabis Radio. Hey, well, it's great to be here, Vivian, and thanks a lot. And, and just to let you know, listeners know I have a new book that's called The Newbie's Guide to Cannabis in the Industry, which just came out two weeks ago. Nice, the newbie's guide to doobies. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of looking at it. <laughs> Chris, we are both increasingly becoming old dogs in the cannabis reform movement, and it didn't start out that way. To partially quote the Virginia Slims commercials of the 70s, we've come a long way, baby. How are you feeling about where things are today in terms of the complicated process of legalization, which is not really playing out in the same in every community or jurisdiction? Is your legalization cup half empty or half full? Well, I'm definitely on the half full side of it, or more, in fact, um, because, you know, to me, it's like the first, first person to make pineapple upside down cake. You know, we, we had our recipe in mind to make pineapple cake, and then somewhere between the kitchen and the dining room, we dropped it. And so uh, what we've ended up serving people is pineapple upside down cake. Uh, but it's still pretty good, and, uh, and I think we have a lot of uh, stuff to go on that. But, you know, one of the things that I think has really been a factor here, Viv, is that, um, you know, when we've at least speaking for myself, when I first got involved, and I know you got involved around the same time, the late 80s, um, it seemed like it was a relatively simple thing to change uh, these laws, and we could just make some general statement um, like we do with Prop 215 on medical marijuana here in California. But uh, it, it's like there's been so many other forces that have moved into play with us in terms of the way that society regulates all businesses and all the uh, like the tax on cigarette smokers and so forth. When we were first involved, we never thought that, would, that smoking cannabis would be such a big deal, but now... Uh, because of the war on tobacco, it makes it so that it's harder for people to find places to smoke cannabis as well. And likewise with the regulatory stuff, with the security things, you know, when we were starting this uh, um, 30 years ago, we didn't really think that the idea of from seed to sale, uh, video, uh, you know, controls over people and those kind of security systems that they're uh, trying to get in place now. And so, uh, you know, in a way, if, it, if we had just gotten it done really quickly, uh, it would be much more to my liking, but unfortunately, the kind of changes I'm seeing uh, have to do with the way society has changed around this issue more so than the way the plant has changed. And, and speaking of that, there has been kind of a change on that because of the the move from um, lower grade marijuana to sensimia, uh to uh, more water hash, and now we've got oils and dabbing going on. So you know, there are these two different things going on: the way society regulates things and the way people use cannabis. 
And, uh, and so it's, we can't really walk the same path that we were on uh, 30 years ago when we got yeah, started. Yeah, we were, you know, I was very naive, Chris. I thought, gee, you know, we'd legalize pot and then we just keep doing everything the same like we are right now. <laughs> And it's, it's infinitely more complicated than that. Do you feel that there are any dangers at this point that this thing could turn back around on us, that a right-wing presidential administration or some horrible news story uh, could stop the momentum? Or are we a steamroller at this point, in your opinion? Um, I, I think that we're, we're a steamroller, but somebody could actually jam us into reverse. And one of the things that concerns me the most in that regard, Viv, uh, really is the fact that uh, it reminds me of the women's movement with the Equal Rights Amendment that uh, women's rights made a lot of gains. And then when the Equal Rights Amendment came along, there became this, well, do we really want to be equal with men or do we want to like keep some differences and so forth? And so rather than passing the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, the women's movement faltered. And if you, you look at ever since the Equal Rights Amendment was uh, the timeline lapsed for it to pass, we're seeing a rollback of women's rights. And so that's right, kind of kind what of I lost, feel. Lost, there's a chance of losing stride. Right. And, and like right now here in California, for example, we have the Adult Use of Marijuana Act on the, that's coming up on the ballot. And, uh, you know, I hear more people spending energy criticizing and attacking one another over these other initiatives, which probably are not even going to be on the ballot anyway, uh, than they're putting an effort into either advancing full legalization or opposing like the DEA. I'm getting more hate messages out there about other activists on the Internet than there are about what the DEA is doing and what the cops are doing and the prosecutors are doing. And, and to me, it's kind of like um, people are mixing up their target right now. And that is something that could hurt us. Yeah, the circular firing squad uh, tendency is really frustrating. How, how about industrial hemp? It seems counterintuitive to a lot of folks that the non-stony, fibrous version of pot would be kind of lagging behind its psychoactive counterpart. At least 30 countries allow the cultivation of industrial hemp, and its products are sold all over the world. Where are we, at, where are we now in terms of industrial hemp legalization? I think we made huge progress on that. Uh, first off, the most important thing was the Farm Bill in uh, 2015, including industrial hemp on there. And to tell you the truth, I was with you 100%. I, my theory was that we would have had industrial hemp legalized by the mid-90s. Um, and instead of that, in the later 90s, we got medical marijuana legalized, which was counterintuitive to me, as, as you mentioned. But I think that having that in the Farm Bill like it is, not only did was that really important – in getting it in there, but one of the most fascinating things is that this is where the DEA first made a big stumble uh, in its efforts to uh, prohibit cannabis, is that when Congress voted to allow industrial hemp and the DEA then tried to shut it down by seizing the hemp seed from Kentucky, that actually aggravated the two senators from Kentucky, including Ron Paul and Mitch McConnell, who are quite powerful in Congress. And so when the DEA tried to block industrial hemp, which was targeting the state of Kentucky specifically, uh, they got their butts kicked a little bit and Congress for the first time cut funding and then followed up with that. Now they've gotten another funding cut related to their enforcement of medical marijuana. So uh, this is really the first time we've seen the DEA getting slapped down for doing things that did not have the legal authority to do. Normally, the government just lets them continue on their way. You have said that the by forcing the industry to import hemp rather than producing it here, it dries up the cost of hemp products. Uh, which is one of the goals of the DEA. Americans can't grow hemp, but we're the largest industrial consumer market for hemp products. Why would the DEA want to drive up the cost of hemp goods? For people who have followed the history of cannabis, it turns out that a lot of the original laws against hemp or against cannabis or marijuana were really uh, racist in the way that they were constructed. The 
talking about marijuana being a, a Spanish word, but uh, the real motive behind a lot of it appeared to have been the banning of industrial hemp in order to make way for petrochemical industries to have a stronger foothold. And in fact, that's really what got me involved in this movement, Viv, was when I read the Senate hearings, and it turned out it was all um, farmers saying that they were growing hemp and uh, businessmen people saying that they were going to be using hemp for all these products. And the Department of Agriculture, of course, had issued reports saying that you got four times as much fiber per acre by growing hemp as you do from cutting down a forest. Uh, I, I love forests. And so that was actually one of the most motivating things to me to get involved. So the idea that, that um, somehow this was an accident of when the government banned hemp, well, they were really trying to like control marijuana. I, I don't buy it. I think it was an attack on hemp. And marijuana was a nice racist way of, of accomplishing that goal. I am speaking with Chris Conrad on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause because there's flaws and laws to hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with more of Chris Conrad. Time to roll out for the people that let us Hemp Present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after-party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton, and be a part of Oregon's fastest-growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. <laughs> Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the king, right? You just have you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. <laughs> the Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. Author Catherine Hiller and her great new book, Just Say Yes, Marijuana Memoir. So I love the way you use time in the memoir. I started it at the present time and I described a visit to my dealer. And then I would go backward in time so that every chapter starts a little bit earlier. I do not feel that marijuana has in any way harmed my life. It certainly hasn't led me to the streets. It's led me to a more joyful life experience. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we are back on Hemp Present on Cannabis Radio with Chris Conrad. Chris, there's just been an explosion in our uh, awareness of cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system. 
Uh, it's amazing. The whole new universe of potential uh, medical applications has opened up. There's some controversy about whether or not quality CBD oil can be produced from industrial hemp. Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, I certainly can. I, I've heard both sides of that issue. Um, what it comes down to is the fact that if you grow cannabis for the specific resin for high CBD, then you don't need to use as many plants and, and it's easier to control the environment it's being grown in. If you're looking at an industrial hemp, it's usually grown outdoors and so the environment is exposed to more elements um, and then it takes a lot more area of, and a lot larger amount of plants to produce the resin that you need. So there's some people who are concerned because cannabis is used for remediation, meaning removing uh, chemicals from the soil, and because uh, industrial hemp doesn't have the same kind of uh, um, safety issues uh, as something that you're going to consume, that somehow that could be a problem. My thought on the whole issue is that uh, I think it's probably preferable if it comes from high resin plants in a smaller, more controlled environment, but there shouldn't be anything wrong with using industrial hemp. And I wrote about that in my book, for Hemp for Health. The thing you need to do is just make sure it's tested to make sure it doesn't have any additional chemicals in it that have gotten into it from the fields. But other than that, I, I don't really think there's any a real reason to uh, condemn or, or to not to use the industrial hemp-based CBD. You just want to make sure it's been tested thoroughly. Can you see a day when the U.S. military is using uh, medical marijuana, whether it's CBD or THC-derived? I certainly hope so because if you look at what's going on in Israel, a lot of that is motivated by the fact that there's so much PTSD in that country caused by the uh, war that they're having with the Palestinians and so other groups in the area and that that's actually uh, one of the major motivators of why Israel is so far advanced on us. Now, considering what we're doing around the world, uh, we have a lot of troops who are coming home who really need that help too. And you probably have spoken with uh, Dr. Susan Sisley who's trying to get that work going. Our government has been blocking that. But I think at some point uh, we're going to have enough veterans who are aware of the fact that cannabis is one of the best things for PTSD, that it's going to cause some pressure. It, it really bums me out because you would think as much as we talk about supporting the troops, uh, why should the government be trying to make their lives more miserable by blocking access to cannabis as a medicine? And, and I don't think they can keep it up much longer. Well, I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is it's, – it's a ca- the military is a cash cow for the pharma industry, don't you think? Pharma, yeah, definitely. And in fact, you know, if you look at what's happened with the um, the national health care programs and so forth, is that the first thing they say is, but we cannot negotiate for lower prices with the pharmaceutical industry here in the United States. But yet other places around the world are buying the same medicines for one-tenth the price or even less. So uh, for some reason, our government has taken a, a major role in keeping up uh, big pharma prices. And it really ties back to the industrial, uh, excuse me, the, the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 did. As you may recall, that was really driven by the pharmaceutical industry trying to take over the medical industry. And so at the hearings, actually, the American Medical Association opposed it, the Marijuana Tax Act, because it was said it would cut up their access to other medicines. But this was all part of big pharma's move. So what they did basically was they, they went after so many doctors during that period that the AMA crumbled. The American Medical Association changed positions and came out against medical marijuana or marijuana, um, not because they had any scientific basis for it, but because the pharmaceutical industry and the federal government were going after the doctors who did not sign on to the single molecule system of patented medicines, which we have today. So really, a lot of the Marijuana Tax Act in a hidden way was uh, the pharmaceutical industry taking over the medical industry. Yes, and the beat goes on. You began your writing career by editing a revised edition of Jack Herrer's seminal work, 
The Emperor Wears No Clothes in 1990. Can you describe your reaction the first time you read The Emperor? Did you have any idea that that book was going to essentially kickstart the modern pot revolution? Well, the version of The Emperor that I read was kind of like a scrapbook of facts <laughs> about cannabis. Uh, it was very hard to follow. But I, I had already started an organization called the Business Alliance for Commerce in Hemp, and I was publishing fact sheets. Uh, but I felt like I needed to have a good book that would make the case without having, you know, because the fact sheets, we only rely back to a book. And so there were actually three different books I was looking at. Uh, Jack Frazier's book, The Marijuana of the First 12,000 Years. Um, I, I forgot the name of the author that got the book, The Marijuana Farmers. And then uh, and Jack Herr's book. And so it really kind of came down to Jack Harris, the one who I got hold of first, who talked to me about redoing the book. And to tell you the truth, he did not want to redo the book when I talked to him. Uh, he said he wanted to do a book about mushrooms and language and pat patriarchal society. And I said, well, I'm really interested in the cannabis book. Uh, so uh, eventually I got it on board. And, uh, you know, the, the team, he, he and I worked together so closely for the next four or five years getting this stuff out there. We completely rewrote the book from scratch. Um, and so the, the effect that that has had on the world has been staggering. In fact, when I went to Holland, um, as your listeners probably don't know, I was a curator of the Hash Marijuana and Hemp Museum. And the first time I went to the museum, the room was pretty much empty. There was a little grow room in the middle of it. Uh, the room was empty except for on the walls they had pictures of pages from The Emperor Wears No Clothes blown up. <laughs> so I knew I had found kindred spirits and I went and I said, well, here's what I would do. And then we wound up redesigning the museum. And that's how I got to grow with Sensi Seed Bank, the legal producer of marijuana seeds that led to my career as an expert witness in the courts because my training of marijuana cultivation was done legally by a licensed uh, company in Holland. So these things all tied together very closely for me. How sad is it that Jack died in 2010, just a few years before everything started to change? Yeah, well, it's it's a tough one. Um, you know, Jack was kind of uh, not willing to let go of the way things had been uh, anyway, to tell you the truth, uh, it would have been nice if he had hung in there, but he wasn't happy with the, the way the, the changes were happening. So oh, he'd, be, he'd be frustrated and he'd have opinions on everything, but, uh, but damn, man, it was so close. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, and the unfortunate thing for us here in California was he died in the middle of the Proposition 19 campaign. And uh, anybody who's worked with Jack knows he usually start off against something. And then partway through the process, he would come on board. And then when it was over, he claimed he did it. Uh, and so what happened with the Proposition 19 campaign, unfortunately, is that he was just at the point where he was starting to shift on board. And that's when he died. And so uh, at the point he died, a lot of people thought he would be really against it. Personally, I don't think he would have been against it. Uh, even though he has spoken against it, because I've seen him go through that process three or four times on uh, Prop 215. He was against it. Then if you talk to him five years later, he said he was one of the guys who did it. Uh, Senate Bill 420 in California, the same thing happened. He, he he was opposed to it, but then later on he said how he was the one who got the dispensary started and so forth. So, <laughs> you know, this is kind of Jack's process, I think, and, and it was really the timing that made it the worst. But like you said, the guy dedicated his life to it. Uh, he was a great fellow, uh, a personal friend of mine. I really wish he could be here to see what's happening today, even though he would be complaining about it. I only have about two minutes left. Uh, are there any new current projects, uh, any newer current projects you're working on? And of course, people can go to chrisconrad.com and find out more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we used to have the West Coast Leaf newspaper, but uh, we've shifted over to the online news source, theleafonline.com. So we invite people there. And then uh, for people who want to know more about the initiative that we're 
supporting here in California is auma2016.com and uh, actually chriskinder.com we have tons of information but I, I think the most important thing for people to know is that if you have a legal problem where you need an, a marijuana expert for the defense uh, you might have your attorney contact me uh, you know I don't charge people for the first conversations uh, but if you find that can be helpful uh, it might be very good for your case. Chris Conrad, old friend, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. I want you to know that I invented the word brainy activist a few weeks ago for Amanda Ryman, which means, of course, brainiac activist. And I think it very much applies to you and, of course, to your lovely wife, Mickey Norris, who I hope as well. Thanks so much, Chris, for being on Him Present. Hemp as forever. <laughs> you bet, bro. Now I want to get to a weekly feature of Him Present on CannabisRadio.com. That's the quote of the week, and this one is a doozy. Quote, If most people were to take a moment to picture in their minds the average not-for-profit save-the-world girl, they, well, they probably wouldn't because who wants to think about hemp, hairy legs, and Birkenstocks? But I'd rather eat a pair of Birkenstocks than put them on my feet, and I love, love, love my Christian Louboutins. And those words are attributed to the creator of Dress for Success, Nancy Lublin, explaining perhaps why the word success starts with the word suck. That concludes this installment of Hempresent on Cannabis Radio. Email me at hempresent at gmail.com. I also want to thank my power peeps in the control room, Hannah and Brasco, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some cannabis confabulation, a reefer repartee with some hempy hero on a journey for justice. Because when it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find yours and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Until then, my friends, stay strong, stand tall, and toke it easy. The Hempresent theme song, Take Back the Plant, is performed by Stickerbush and sung by a much younger version of myself. In terms of the music maestro, I'm out. Marijuana! THC! Sweet Sativa! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.